You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. Uh, you know, as we gather together this morning, though, one of the things that I have just been so aware of is how everything that has been talked about, everything that has been sung, uh, really does point us towards these themes that we are in together uh, in our sermon series. Uh, when we talk about what does it mean for us to live uh, the abundant life, what does it mean for us to be a gathering church, as, as we've sung that song, to gather us in, but what does one of the lines from that song say? What? So that we can be grown together. And we think about what does it mean for us to be grown together and for us then to be mindful of when we gather together, who is it that we are worshiping? Well, there is only one that we is worthy of our worship. I love that song for a thousand tongues to sing. Sometimes we may think that that song is written to say, oh, for a thousand people to be able to lift up the voice of the Lord, but to think what the writer was saying is, oh, if I only had a thousand tongues, I would praise Jesus with every single one of them. Which why when we come to this idea of saying, Lord, who is worthy? Only Jesus. I think about myself coming to the Word this morning and needing to, in a sense, open the scroll. And where I feel so unworthy to be able to do that, where, as we were reminded as we sung together, where I am weary and worn. Last night, we had an opportunity to go into Chicago to see Adriana in a play, and they did the crucible. They did a wonderful job. But we got home at 2 a.m. last night because it's a three-hour play, and they didn't start until 7.30. And so I feel this morning like I need an extra outpouring of the Spirit. And then to be reminded that really, ultimately, you don't need to hear a word from me. You need to hear a word from the Lord this morning. And so I pray that as God has gathered us in together, that He is going to do the work in me and through us that what happens here would bring honor and glory to Jesus. And so as we prepare to open the scroll today and to study it, to say, Lord, what is it that you have for us? We know that we need the strength and the power of the living Lord Jesus. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, we do come and we do give you thanks that we are able to gather together in this place. Lord, as we have been reminded, Lord, we stand here or we sit here this morning on the backs of those who have fought and paid for our freedom. And yet, Lord, what we recognize ultimately is that we are here together this morning because of the ultimate freedom that we have that was paid for by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he has only the one who is worthy to receive all of the honor and glory and praise in this place. And we pray that it would begin here in our own hearts and lives. God, we pray that this morning you would speak powerfully to those who have gathered together, to those who are watching online. God, we would pray that this morning it would be your Holy Spirit that moves in power. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. O Lord, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. And we pray these things in that most wonderful and holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. 
How many of you have a place in your house that has a ruler or a place to check a child's height? You know, this is, you probably can't see it so well. This is when we have lived in Florida. Uh, this is a doorpost and a door frame where you have your children stand and you have them stand and you mark above their heads and you see the way in which they have shown growth over the years. Now, maybe it's not something like this that you have somewhere in your house. Maybe you have other markers of growth. Uh, some of you may have baby books, and in those baby books, there's those moments of first haircuts, uh, maybe first steps, first words, first shots, first pictures, you know, all of those things that exist in those books that show, ah, there is growth that's taking place. Maybe for some of you, you don't have that, but you have picture albums, and maybe in some of those picture albums, you have some of those key moments of your children and how they have grown. I think about in our own family, we kind of navigated the move from actual print film to digital film, and so for our kids, as we've gone on, it feels like we have actually less and less printed pictures. And it's not that we don't love our later kids any less. It's just that we don't really care about them as much. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Love you, buddy. No, no, but, you know, we recognize that, right? You know, we go through those moments where we have those pictures and they show those markers of growth in their lives. We have those other things that we sometimes experience in life as well. You think about those moments, those markers that exist that show growth. Maybe it's when children turn 16, right? They're finally able to drive. Maybe it's when they turn 18. Maybe it's when they turn 21. All of those different things that show that you're growing, that you're able to do these different things. Maybe for some of you, it's a marker of growth when you graduate from high school, or maybe it's when you graduate from college, or maybe it's when you go and get your first job. Maybe it's when you get married. Maybe it's when you have children. Maybe it's when you retire. Maybe it's when you have grandchildren. All of us recognize what it means to have those markers in our lives that show that we are growing. So here's the question for us that we're going to be looking at together. What signposts do you have in your life that point to spiritual growth? What markers are there in your life that show that you are growing in your faith? You know, we have all of these different markers in the world that show, hey, guess what? I'm growing up and I'm getting older and I'm doing these different things. Well, what's the point in your own spiritual life that's saying, ah, I'm growing up in these different ways and I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, last week, Pastor Andrew did a wonderful job of taking us into this new sermon series that we're going to be studying together, this idea of the abundant life. And when we talk about the abundant life, as I'm going to be saying later on today, it's not just about having a better life. It's not just having, well, a life that can manage. How do you and I have a life that is filled with abundance, that is filled to the overflow and in order to help us think about that, I want you to see this missional map. This is kind of our sermon series kind of thought logo picture. And you look at this, and if I were to say to you that this is what we would call a missional map, some of you might look at that and say, well, that's not really an accurate map or a good map, because that's a map that has me just simply going in circles, 
right? So you're thinking to yourself, okay, what does that mean for me then? And I want us to think, what did we talk about last week? Well, we learned about what does it mean for us to be a church that gathers together, that comes together in order to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us then to be a growing church and then a going and giving church? You know, one of the things that I had said a couple of weeks ago in our service is the fact that I've really been convicted in these recent weeks to say this, that I do not want to play church. I don't want to do church, right? I don't want to be a manager of a church. I want to be a church that is making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples who are releasing you to be pastors and ministers where you live, in your work, in your homes. This is how God will continue to build his kingdom in us and through us. And so when we talk about what does that mean for me, this gives you a picture of what that looks like. To be a disciple who gathers together, who is growing, who is then giving, and who is going now, it's important for us to understand, you may not necessarily enter in this way. For some people, the first step might be through get, like gathering together in worship. But for others, it might be actually engaging in a small group. You may have friends, you may have neighbors, you may have people that are around you where that is their first entry point into the church. In other cases, you might have somebody who says, well, I'm really not interested in any of those other things. I don't really want to gather together. I'm not in love with the church, but I do want to give, and I do want to go, right? I, I want to give my life in some way. So for us to understand that the entry point for people is going to be at different points. Some people may enter in immediately through worship, but others may enter in through those gospel-growing type conversations but the point is that at some point, we are going to put all of these things on display. Uh, last week, Andrew shared with us Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And we see the way in which the early church really modeled this. What did it remind us of? That they gathered together every single day to worship right? That they studied the apostles' teaching, that they broke bread, they ate meals together, they gave to anyone that had need. And what happened? The Lord added daily to the number of those who were being saved. So if you think about the, the early church being a model for us, really when we talk about the abundant life, we're simply going back to what the early church did, that what did they do? They gathered, they growed, they gave to one another, and then they went. You know, when we think about what does it mean for us to grow together, I want us to think about what it means to be a, a community that is, if you think of the, the theological term, might be sanctification, where it means to be set apart for a sacred purpose. That we have been called to be set apart. And, and, the, and the point is, we, we, this is an ongoing process. We never just arrive. When we come to that place where we give our lives to Jesus, it's not like, bam, right there, I am a full, I'm a disciple, and then I've got, I'm on my way. No, this is one of those things where you and I need to constantly live into this process. It's a growing process to become more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. 
You know, if you want to know if you are someone who is growing deep as well as growing wide, if you want to know kind of where you are on that door frame, am I someone who's growing up in my faith? This is a great way to say, am I growing spiritually in my relationship? Am I gathering? Am I growing? Am I giving? And am I going? But I want to be clear, you can go through the motions, right? You can, you can come to church every week. You can get involved in a small group and grow that way. You know, you can give and you can go. But if you're just checking boxes, that's not really where your heart is. You know, again, that's not really what it means to be a disciple. We don't want to just go through the motions. We, we want to have a heart behind the things that we do. And it's important for us to understand that if we are going to grow up, you first have to grow down. Uh, if, if you're familiar, plants and trees are pretty much directly proportional what grows above the ground to what grows beneath the ground. And, and you can either say, I want to be a tumbleweed or I want to be a banyan tree. Right? Think about the difference. Look at this picture of tumbleweeds. Could you imagine living in that house? You know, we think about snow and the snow piling up in front of your house. I mean, imagine this, right? Tumbleweeds, they grow up and they grow quickly, but they only have one root. And that root, because it doesn't go deep, when the weather dries up, what happens? The plant grows bigger than the roots can handle and it eventually dies and they roll away. But think about a banyan tree. You know, how many of you, when we lived in Florida, there were different places where we could go that you would see trees like this. You'll see that next one there. I mean, you see the way in which banyan trees grow out, and as they're growing out, they put down these next shoots, and those shoots, once they hit the ground, then those become the next trunk. That lead becomes the trunk, and then that tree is able to grow out. There are banyan trees that cover acres, and you think about how amazing they are, but for as large as their canopies are, it's the root system that feeds it. And it's really the same thing with our spiritual lives, right? If you want to grow up, and if you want to grow out, if you want to live into what it means to be a disciple who's gathering, who's growing, who's giving, and who's going, it really is all about where we place our roots and the type of soil that we are planting our lives in. Now, I, I want us to be clear about this. Th these are not things that I'm coming to on my own conclusion. These are things that we see in Scripture. So I want to invite you, uh, if you've brought your Bibles, to open them up. We're going to see in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 20, what it is that Paul is saying for us to grow into this abundant life. Listen to what he says. He says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought 
into fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And may God bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives today. So, let's get into this passage. Let's kind of start to to break it down. If you're following along and taking notes, this is the first thing that I want us to understand, is that in order to grow, you have to know. All right? In order to grow, you have to know. The first thing is, if you want to grow, you have to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You can have all the biblical knowledge in the world. You can come into church each and every week, and you can sing these songs, and you can, be, you can attend all of these services in all of these different programs that we have as a church, but true spiritual growth can only truly happen when we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to help us with this, Paul gives us a number of metaphors for what this looks like. A bunch of pictures to help us. What is a life that's growing in Christ? What does it look like? Notice a number of these different pictures. The first metaphor is that of a power walker. Now, you look at pictures like this, and I think Olympics no longer have power walking as an official Olympic sport, though they have everything else. Why not, you know, power walking anymore? Maybe you think of uh, men and women who walk around the malls, you know, the power walkers in, in that way. But what I want you to understand is, actually, in the Greek, it says this in our translations, continue to live your lives for him But the Greek is closer to this. It says, walk in him. So walk in him. And the tense of the verb is a continual action. So you are to continually walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and the purpose of this is to say, look, the Christian life has to go from your head to your heart, to your hands, to your feet. This is something that needs to be continually lived out. And we walk in the faith and the strength that Jesus Christ provides us through his Holy Spirit. And so for us to think about how am I continually walking out this growth in the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. A second metaphor is that of an arborist. If you think of an arborist, oftentimes we may think of a tree trimmer, but for a tree, it's, an arborist is far more than just a tree trimmer, right? They know trees. They understand what might be wrong with it. They understand the root system. They'll make recommendations about what you need to do in order to help that tree grow. They might say, well, in order for this tree to grow better, you actually need to do some pruning and to cut off some of that dead wood. And so when we think about an arborist, this is the picture that Paul is painting for us. And the reason why we use this is because notice Paul says that we need to be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't often do this, but I thought, boy, this, this really impacted me. The way I looked, I, in which I looked at this passage this week is to do a little bit deeper study. So the word for rooted in the Greek is rhizo. Rhizo. It's where we understand the word rhizome from. And a rhizome, right, is something that grows underneath the ground. It grows underneath the ground, horizontal to it, and it sends up these shoots. 
And what's interesting is this verse is actually in the passive. So what we mean by that is this, is normally we think, oh, what this means is you need to be rooted in Christ. You need to put down those roots deep. What it actually means is that when you are in Christ, he's the one who roots you. He's the one who does, does these things and helps you to grow up in him. And so this is why we need to think of, well, what does it mean when I place my faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the one who begins to do this rooting so that we can grow up in him. And so just like uh, a tree needs to be rooted deeply, we need to find ourselves being firm in our faith in Jesus Christ and then what we find is that we grow up into these things that he desires for us. Now, maybe Paul had in mind as he was writing this, uh, Jeremiah 17, 8. Think about what the Holy Spirit was revealing to him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. When you and I have a relationship with Christ, we have everything that we need for a life of godliness. The third metaphor is that of a builder, right? That of a builder. I know, I, my kids, I, Bob the builder, that was probably the best thing, right? So anyway, but notice Paul says to be built up in him. He says to be built up. And by the way, the construction image is one you see throughout the, the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus shares in the parables, what does he say? Don't, don't build your house on sand. He says, build it on a firm foundation. Build it on the rock. When Peter made his confession and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, Peter, on the rock of that confession, I am going to build my church. When Paul talked about in Ephesians that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. And what that means is in ancient days, the way in which they would lay out a building was through that cornerstone that plumbed everything else to it. You think of a capstone, right? Jesus is also the capstone. In an arch, it's that capstone that holds everything together. And what Paul is reminding us of is that we are built on that cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I can try to build our lives on all kinds of different things. And we can try to use materials that don't last. Wood, hay, straw, all the things that will eventually fade away. But we are reminded that we build ourselves on that firm foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth metaphor that we see is that of a student. Now, I could have used a bodybuilder, would have been kind of cool as well, maybe a little bit cooler than a student, but I want you to see what does Paul say here? He says, strengthened in the faith that you were taught. Two pictures here, but the point is that you and I are to grow up, we're to strengthen ourselves in the graduate school of faith. We move on 
from the elementary things. If our kids never grow beyond preschool level, never grow beyond kindergarten level, we worry and we recognize something is wrong for, for our spiritual lives. If we don't grow up and we stay in those elementary things, then we have to be able to look at our lives and say, something is wrong. And I know that I need to grow up. Now, I understand this. Maybe some of us aren't the best students. And maybe some of us didn't necessarily like school all that much. But if we, if we don't say and commit ourselves to saying, I want to be a student of the gospel, where will that leave us? I, and I was thinking about that this week. I mean, you know, we look at, at the world in which we live right now, at least I, I should say in, in Western Christianity. And there are generations of adults who are walking away from the church. Uh, there are generations of young men and women who are walking away from their faith. The question is, why, why is that? Why do we think people are, are leaving the church? Now, perhaps some of it is because people are not rooting themselves in the world. In the word, they're rooting themselves in the world. And we see the, the world's influences. And we're constantly competing with these influences that want us to root ourselves in the things of this world instead of being rooted in the Word. And maybe, maybe a part of it, too, is that we think that 90 minutes a week in church on Sunday is enough for me to be able to, to truly grow. Can a plant grow with only 90 minutes of sunshine a week? Can a building be built in only 90 minutes of building a week? Right? Can you get healthy if you only exercise 90 minutes a week? And I think a lot of times we, we make excuses. I'm so busy. And we are. We're busy. And our kids, they're, they're, they're busy. You and I put our children in AP history classes, in advanced placement math classes, in biology classes. And then we say to ourselves, but they can't learn theology. We push them. And we say, you can do this. You can study these things. And we see the amazing things our children are doing. When I think about all the advanced placement classes my kids are in, I've been convicted this week because <laughs> I'm like, man, how much study have I done? If they're, if they're putting, and they got to put more than 90 minutes into those classes a week. And, and do I expect them to put that much time into their faith? Do I put that much time into my faith? And I've been convicted this week to say, boy, you know what? I know that I, I need to commit myself to, to studying more to grow up past the elementary, elemental things. I need to be a graduate student, a doctoral student. I want to grow up in my faith. By the way, that's not to say that that's not happening. I, I, I loved it. Last week, little Felix Davis came up after the first service. And 
he said, can I, can I celebrate the Lord's Supper next time in, in, November, in, in December? And I said, oh, Felix, that's so wonderful to hear. You know, this little boy. And I said, explain to me, what, do you, what, what is Jesus and who is Jesus to you? And then, and then to ask him, well, what do you think happens when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together? And man, this little kid was so articulate about his faith in Jesus Christ and what he understood was happening when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I was so, I, I, my heart was just so lifted. It was so exciting. And, and then I got thinking about it. You know, as much as he's seeing that when he gathers together, that's why, you know, kids being with us in that first Sunday of the month, they're able to see some of these things and saying, boy, whatever that is, it's, that's what I want. And he's learning here when he's here on Sunday mornings and learning at Sunday school. And I know he's learning on Wednesday night, but you know what I also remembered is that's a credit to Kathy and Matt as well. Because you can see the way in which they are seeking to help their children grow even outside of the time that we spend together and to spend time at home. That's why, you know, you've been hearing and you're going to hear a lot more conversation about what does it mean to, to drive us out of just Sunday mornings and into small groups, connectional communities, uh, missional communities in our homes so that we can grow there and so that we can go about meeting our neighbors, meeting their needs, growing in our own faith, and then helping others to grow in their faith. As we heard last week, even about the Halloween event, kind of out in the community, what does it mean for us to be a community and a people of peace? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared with you the story of Kyle and how uh, Kyle stopped in front of our house one day, how I went out there and asked him if, if he was hungry, if he needed a phone to eat. And so we provided him with a phone, we provided him with a meal, we provided him with a place to stay, we provided him with a ride back to the airport, and, and how eventually he, he gave his life to Christ, how he was baptized, how he's now serving as a pastor down in Florida. But a number of years ago, I asked him, out of all the houses that you could have stopped in front of, why did you stop in front of our house? And he said, it's because I felt peace in that place. I think about my friend John. I think about the day that he gave his life to Christ, sitting across the table at first watch together. And one of the things that he said is, you know, Aaron, there was such peace in your house this day. And I, it was a day that he was describing where Nathaniel had a dozen friends over. Our house was chaos. <laughs> I mean, the kids were just crazy. And he said, but in the midst of that craziness, there was peace. And he said, whatever that is, that's what I want in my life. And where I could say, as the Holy Spirit was working in him, it's all about Jesus. Are we growing in our own relationship and in our own faith where our homes are homes of peace? Where people know that there is something that is different about us, where we are students of the gospel, where they want to grow up 
in that faith as well. This is the challenge for us to be a people of peace. The fifth metaphor is that of a Hallmark card writer. Now, I'm sure you're asking, what in the world does that have to do with anything? You know, we sometimes think of Hallmark cards. Uh, they're written to serve a, a purpose, but not necessarily beautiful things that you want to say. Oftentimes, uh, if you look at Nicole and I, you will see our cards. While the Hallmark card at least expresses a sentiment, I mean, this side of the card, this side of the card, and the back of the card are all things that we actually want to say to each other. We never just sign our names. You, you would see these long paragraphs of the things that we mean to one another. But the reason why I think of a, a Hallmark card writer is because Paul talks about overflowing in thankfulness, right? And so oftentimes you might think of a writer who's just overflowing in all the thankfulness. And, and what this means is like a river that is overflowing its boundaries, this is, this is the type of thankfulness that we are to have, this inner joy that is in us that just cannot be contained. It has to be shared with others. I think this is why it's so important for us. I know we're, up, we're coming up on Thanksgiving to practice Thanksgiving more than just once a year. For us to be thinking all the time about the different ways why we can be thankful. And especially when we think about all the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. How thankfulness should just be overflowing everything that we do. So those are some of the metaphors that Paul lays out for us. What does it mean for us to grow in godly wisdom and knowledge? But the question is why? Why is this so important that we become disciples who are deeply rooted in Christ? Because it's the other half of this equation. That in order to know, you have to grow. And specifically, in order to know deception, you have to be able to grow. Notice what verse 8 says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. But how do you know if someone is actually teaching hollow and elemental things? How do you know if you are being deceived? What it means is that you have to know the truth. You have to know God's word so that you can discern truth from error. And what Paul says, firstly, is that you have to know the world. It's easy for us to be captured. Literally, it's a word that means kidnapped. Kidnapped by the thinking of the world. It wants to kidnap our thoughts. It wants to kidnap our faith. And it kidnaps us with deception. And the problem with the thinking of the world is so often it's good. It feels good. And it looks good to the eyes. But it's deceptive, and it's hollow. By the way, notice, he doesn't say all philosophy. Rather, he says it's hollow and deceptive philosophy. You know, there are all kinds of things that we can learn from in the world. You, you can learn from speaking with other cultures. 
You can learn from other people in the way in which they think. But when that thinking comes opposed to what the gospel teaches, well, then we choose the truth of Scripture over the deceptive philosophies. Right? So we look at the things that are happening around us, but then we always come back to God's Word. The hardest part about this is that you have to know God's Word, and you have to grow in God's Word so that you can know whether or not what you are encountering is good or deceptive or not. There are all kinds of hollow things out there, deceptive things that are out there that they sound good, but they don't line up with Scripture. And when that happens, when you feel like you are encountering something that may seem deceptive, you go back to the Word so that you do not be taken captive. So we have to understand the world in which we live, but we also need to understand the spiritual powers. Right? There are spiritual powers. The elemental forces, spiritual forces of this world. The passage reminds us our ultimate battle is not against the flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities, the forces that are at work in this world. To understand the devil is a liar and a thief and a destroyer, and he constantly seeks to have you doubt yourself, to doubt your faith, to doubt your identity, to put more thought into what other people think about you than what Christ thinks about you. But if you know the truth of Scripture, you will not be deceived. You grow, so you can also reject the lies. What we're reminded of is this. It's really about knowing our identity. You have to know your identity. Look at what verses 9 to 10 say. For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. See, the more you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the more you're going to find your identity is in him. See, so often we lie to ourselves or we believe the lies of other people and we put more stock in what we think other people think about us instead of understanding our positional nature in Christ that you and your identity is in him not in the things of this world you and your positional nature make you an heir and a co-heir with Christ. You have all the things that have come to Christ are coming to you because of who you are. You are not just an earthly citizen. You're not just an American citizen. You are a kingdom citizen. And that should change the way in which we live. And all the things that that citizenship entitles us to, we have to fight. I love what John Piper has said. He said the distinguishing mark of saving faith is not perfection, right? So living into this missional map, that's not what perfection is. He says the mark of faith is not that I never sin. The mark of faith is that I fight. I fight anything that dims my sight of Jesus as my glorious Savior. I fight anything that diminishes the fullness of the lordship of Jesus in my life. 
I fight anything that threatens to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure of my life. Anything that stands between me and receiving Jesus is what faith fights, not with fists or knives or guns or bombs, but with the truth of Christ. So where do we go? Where, where does this passage take us? Beloved people, I believe it's important for us to remember the gospel we preach are the churches we get. If, if your desire is for a TED Talk, five minutes to a better you, five minutes to a better life, the churches that we get are churches filled with teddy tumbleweeds who just blow with the wind. You need a vision of Christ. That's where the abundant life comes from. Beloved people, we don't, we don't need a better life. We need an abundant life. And the, the great news is that when we have the abundant life, it actually leads to a better life. We find more joy. We find more hope. We find more peace. The abundant life is found by a life that is transformed by Jesus Christ. That's how we become disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. By the way, a related point. What you win them with is what you win them to. If, if we win people with, you know, the easy, we win people with seeker-sensitive theology, we just, if we win people with things that are like the show, right? If you win people with smoke and mirrors and lights, you got to keep them with that. Yeah, uh, I'm going off script. Okay. Uh, sorry, Sam. So when we were planting our church in Florida, some friends of ours, uh, they grew real fast, real quick. And you're like, man, what are they doing? And I'm telling you, they had an amazing, they, amazing show that they put on, right? I mean, they, they were giving away cars. You know, they were, they were just doing all of these incredible things. And here we are, and we feel like, man, you know, it's like this is like this small, slow growth of these people that have gathered together. And in your mind, you start thinking, well, maybe we should be doing that. The problem is, is once they lost the show, they lost the congregation. And, and, and that slow growth, and I, this is not patting ourselves on the back, after six years out of five church plants, we were the only one left. It's, and it's, again, it's not because of anything that we were doing, it's because of what Christ was doing. But I'm just saying that what you win them with is what you win them to. And so we never want to point towards anything other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. My, my prayer for us is that we would be a people who are rooted in grace, who are rooted in peace, who are rooted in love. And it's that grace and peace that leads us out to share that gospel with others. You know, I challenged you a couple of weeks ago to live your life on mission. To think about people that you encounter. When you're at the grocery store, 
to say to that person who's checking you out, to say, hey, uh, can I pray for you today? Or what can I pray for you? Maybe it's you're at a restaurant, and when the waiter or waitress comes up and, and, and brings you your meal, say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for this meal, and can, how can I pray for you? Uh, last week, we gave away some, a couple weeks ago, we gave away some gift cards and just said, hey, want you to go to Kroger, want you to go to Meyer, hand out these gift cards, say, I want to bless you in Jesus' name, and, and see about the spiritual conversations that come about as a result. What's really cool is I, I've heard from a number of you over the course of these past couple weeks about, wow, hey, these are some great stories. Here's my ask. For those of you who have been doing some of these things, Next week, we're going to be talking about giving, and the following week, we're going to be talking about going. Would you be willing to share your testimony of what happened when you did that? It might not be anything grand, but it was what you experienced when you did it and what somebody else experienced when you did that. Now, that's a big ask uh, to ask you to get up and share, but I think those are the things that move people, right? It's the stories you know, being a better storyteller. So how can we tell the stories of what happens when we live on mission? Would you consider talking to me afterwards today and so that we can think about in these next couple of weeks, how can we take you and your story and your testimony to really challenge us and to encourage us to be a congregation that's gathering, uh, that's growing, that's giving, and that's going. All for the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have called us together as a body. Lord, that you call us to be a people who place our faith in you. And then who are living out that faith, Lord, in our everyday lives, in our interactions with others. But God, we know that in order to do that, we need to be firmly rooted in the things of the gospel. Lord, not the things of the world. Lord, were those things of the world, or maybe we've been influenced and rooted more in those things, would, Lord, would you forgive us? But would you also help us to grow? And may we find ourselves, Lord, cutting off some of those branches, or maybe some of those roots that don't belong, so that we can be rooted more deeply in you, so that we can grow up more healthy in you, so that we can bear fruit that not only provides shade, but Lord, that blesses others. Lord, may you do all of these things, both in us and in our church, as well as through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us and have a blessed day.